All right, welcome back to Radio Row Hour 2 here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, we are, Anthony, we can skip the fancy not my beat imaging. Uh, I don't think it actually does justice for our next guest because as I told you via text message, Nora Princiati, good friend and uh, ringer staff writer and podcast host, Hello. there's never been a fray, or anyone who has had more of like, this is my Super Bowl Thank than you. you this week. Thank you. I do. I, I agree. Uh, so Nora, obviously, as many of you remember her work for the Washington Times, writing about football. She hosts the Ringer NFL show. Um, but she also hosts a podcast called Every Single Album, where you look at every single album that Taylor Swift has put out. True. And that has launched you into the Taylor Swift universe as a media person as well as a, as a fan. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I've, I've covered the NFL professionally for eight years. I've covered Taylor Swift professionally for four years. I've been you know, deeply interested in her for much longer than that but it is it the, the fact that the two have collided is so not anything i ever assumed would happen particularly not in this way yes like oh, you oh yeah she's doing super bowl halftime like that would be the sure. collision but no she is uh featured on every single broadcast because she's dating one of the best players in the league and is now seeing her fan base mixed with the nfl fan base Killer that wasn't on, that wasn't on the on the on the, the bingo card the docket. yeah yeah no um, but so I think the best use of our time in terms of a conversation about where all these things intersect is about fandom because the intensity of fandom in the NFL is as intense as any sport in the world. And it is, is a large because like, obviously there are very intense fans of any sport, any team, whatever, but like the number of very intense NFL fans, extremely sure. high. Uh, Taylor Swift is as popular as any pop star, not only in the world now, but as any pop star basically in the world ever. When you think about like, Hardcore NFL fan, hardcore Taylor Swift fan. What are the similarities? Like, what what drives that? The similarities are that it's this intensely felt thing. It's it's very personal to people. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift is is this woman who has, over the course of her career, like she's made this legacy of of kind of like writing the interior lives of her fans into song. And, you know, I, I try to be sort of like a, a, a reasoned and sober fan, but on some level we all feel like she's speaking directly to us. And so it's this relationship with someone who, like, I've never met her. I probably never will meet her. And, and most people are in that position, if, even if they love her. And there's a thing with, with rooting for a sports team where it's like it's, you're so separate from it, but it feels like a part of you. And that that disconnect, you know, it's often at the root of, like, the best parts of fandom and the worst parts of fandom. Yes. Where we get way too carried away or when we get carried away in a way that's just sort of, like, magical and you get to put yourself into something that's not actually a part of you. You find yourself crying because your team wins and all you did was watch on TV. Right. And it's cathartic and it's emotional and it's meaningful and it, it forms bonds between people. I mean, the most fun part of this season for me has just been talking to other people about it just been mm. talking to people who are are enjoying maybe they're enjoying enjoying tuning into a three and a half hour football broadcast but also like maybe they're just liking the memes and that's fine because we're all sort of connected in this thing and like i i love football as a game i love the x's and o's i think it's a beautiful game i think it's fascinating and complicated but football is important to me because it is culture and Taylor Swift is also important to me because she is culture and the things that like connect us as, as people and that sort of connective tissue of life. I just think it's really, really interesting. And, and having it merge like this puts together 
more different swaths of humanity, right, than just doing one by itself or just doing the other by itself. I think another thing that just hit me really hard as you were answering that question, and I think about kind of how I was taught to do this job is can you create like heroes and villains, right? And as a storyteller, <laughs> there's like a heroes and villains element. And the reason it works so well in sports is because it's so clear. Like there, there is not a gray area. Like there's two teams, they're playing, there's a scoreboard right. and one wins and one loses. And you, if you wear burgundy and gold, you hate that blue team from Dallas with all your heart and soul. Right. And even if you're rooting for laundry or, you know, the players change and, you know, Dan Quinn was the Dallas defensive coordinator. Now he's the commander's head coach. I hate that guy. Now I love him because he's mine. Like, there is that clear heroes and villains. And I think when you listen to the way that Taylor writes, I think she's actually that, – that might be, like, one of the superpowers is because of the way she tells the stories in her songs, often many of her own, like – are they more complicated in real life? Maybe. But the way she writes it, I feel like, is very clear, like, hero and villain to the point that anti-hero, like, that whole sentiment, like, because she kind of even flips it on its head. Right. Well, she's really, I mean, I think the story of her, her public persona more than her, like, career as a musician and an artist, but it's, it's one of, it's one of choosing foils. And, mm. and the idea of Taylor Swift as underdog has been a very complicated one throughout the years because she came up in a country music ecosystem that had close to no history of accepting someone that young who was also female. And sort of clawing her way into Nashville was genuinely deft and and difficult and there was a lot of her early career where that was sort of the story of like oh my gosh there's this like supernova kid who's doing you know who's taking on like big bad masculine nashville which like that's sort of the country music identity within the music industry then she got more famous and she started to to become a little bit more of a true pop star and it got complicated because she was still sort of writing these these underdog stories and you know she's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers and I think for a lot of people who were sort of in it from the beginning and also for whom the songs really resonated it made a lot of sense to some people who were a little bit more on the outside of it she was becoming rich and famous beyond her or anyone's wildest dreams she was dating some of the most famous men in the world and the idea that like a high school bully was sort of her was like taking her on. It just right. started to get a little bit incongruent with how people saw her, which I think, I mean, you know, we don't have to get into it, but like when the Kanye West VMAs incident happened, that was why that, like to me, that was why that was such a lightning rod is because you had a lot of people who were like, who the heck is she kidding? Like, she's a victim of this and she's like so surprised even though that's the you know umpteenth award she's won this year and then you know all the fans were like no that's me up there like right. i see myself right being sort of attacked and so there's just sort of this fundamental disconnect to bring it back around i think as she's gotten older and particularly as she's gotten engaged in some of the business dynamics of the music industry and really taking that on i think she's gotten very smart about choosing who the foil is because when she's misstepped, I think it's been underestimating her own power mm. and sort of coming off as punching down because she doesn't hasn't embodied the place that that she's in. I think right now in this era of 
Taylor Swift, she's done a really good job of sort of like understanding the power that that she wields. So in that sense, like the the hero villain antihero, you know, favorite underdog dynamic that is so core to sports, it is really really core um, to her story as an artist, definitely, but especially as someone who we just like consume in public as a celebrity. Nora Princiati is our guest here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, the podcast, NFL, the NFL or the Ringer NFL Show and every single album, no matter which one, uh, which side of this conversation interests you more, she has a podcast for you. I do. I, it's actually interesting to hear you describe that though because, and I'm not just saying this because like she's now associated with the Chiefs because of Travis, but like the Chiefs are the latest example of seeing that same arc. Like they're the underdog story, right? They're they're led by Andy Reid, chronic underachiever in Philadelphia, Patrick Mahomes, who everyone knew was like ridiculously talented, but he wasn't the number one overall pick. It's like, ah, can this Texas Ted right. Texas Tech fling it kid put it together? Uh, Travis Kelsey, third round pick, and like they kind of put it together. Underdogs, everybody loves them. They're going up against Brady uh, right. to to start, and now they got to the point where I feel like we are, especially if they win on Sunday, we are at a mega tipping point with the Chiefs where everyone kind of hates them now. And all they've done is continue to be them. they will, though? Like, that's I, that's a huge question to me because they're not I feel like it's capable. already happening. See, I agree with you. But because this, because the way fandom is is so emotional and it's not rational, I like, I already sense that it's happening. Like, people around here in this zoo of media dorks that we all are, like, people are picking the Chiefs. But the the narrative around Kansas City is now like, oh, they're spoiled or they're this. And all they've done is continue to do the same exact things they've done the I whole time. I find that so slippery, though, because what is it like? Why are they spoiled? You know, with the Patriots, it was so easy. It was Spygate. It was Deflategate. They're cheaters. They hate each other. Brady is like this, you know, becoming this woo-woo guy who doesn't want you to eat strawberries. And, <laughs> and Bill Belichick has never smiled. It's really – Andy Reid is like, here's my cheeseburger recipe. Right. And Patrick Mahomes is like, I have a goofy voice and I never say anything. Right, like, but I think it's – you know, they, they get the commercials and it's the fame. And, you know, they get a bad call in whatever game that was and Mahomes like loses his mind. Right. And, you know, all those things that were admirable about his competitiveness and, you know, all that stuff. And also – Part of it is just the heroes and villains. Like, they've made their rounds of the NFL kicking everyone else's ass. And, like, when the bully has beaten you up enough times, you're like, hey, I don't right. like that guy anymore. Right. I, I, I think you're spot on in terms of the dynamic. To me, it is just a really open question which one of those things happens. Because if they win this game, I think that they are chasing Brady and the Patriots and literally no one else. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the Josh Allen Bills or the Joe Burrow Bengals, it, it's not sort of like, is there a 1B to this era? It's like we sort of understand that everybody is second Yeah, it's the 96 it's, Bulls. Right. It's Jordan or it's to some extent, you know, Brady and the Patriots with a, with a who's going to be the Giants of this era thrown in. I think that's very true. And if that does happen, I will be very curious to see if, like, league-wide people find something to latch onto to hate them with because i just don't know what it like well i mean the part of it too is like and not to be like the sports radio guy who's like well my mom but like i've had my mom is a football fan and like she is one of these people that is just like i want to see someone else win and like there's part of that too this um this idea that like we want to spread the wealth which 
is hilarious because I think if we're in the business, which we are, we know that's actually not true. Like greatness drives ratings and interest. And, you know, d- yes, if Steph Curry and LeBron are playing in the sixth straight NBA finals, eventually th- there is some, like, yes, something new. Um, but I do think part of it is just like, people feel bad for Josh Allen. Like people feel bad for yeah. Joe Burrow. People feel bad and want to see someone else win. And so um, it's funny because like the Niners have been the best team in the NFC the last, what, six years, if you right. take the aggregate, but they are now seen as like, oh, this underdog, go get him, Kyle Shanahan, yeah. you underdog you uh, because of who they're facing. Right. I will say I was very happy to, to hear Mahomes this week he got some sort of underdog question he was just like i i don't really ever think that i'm the underdog which to me is so refreshing because yes. even those like i mean i covered some of those patriots teams and they were so good at twisting themselves in knots being like everybody's counting us out i mean they did it you know look maybe they knew something that everybody didn't because they went on to lose the game but the eagles super bowl they're tom brady's going up against nick Foles, right and they were they were just that entire week they were like we're the, nobody believes in us we're the underdogs it's just it is such an athlete talent so i do have to hand it to mahomes for flipping that on its head a little bit in the middle of the week and just saying like mm, i i sort of think i'm gonna win most games uh who do you think is gonna win the game i do uh, the kansas city chiefs yeah i feel like that is the the, I'm now, I need to come up with a new phrase because I just feel like I'm saying the same thing to every guest now. But it does feel like the, the sliding sentiment of the week is everyone's just like, oh, no, we, we bet against them with Buffalo. We bet against them with Baltimore. And we can't possibly be stupid enough to do that again. I mean, that's me because I, I really owed Chiefs fans an apology because late in the, late in the year, I was so out on them. I, I just really. I mean, after what happened to them in Baltimore, like. I mean, sorry, not in Baltimore. After what happened to them uh, on Christmas Day, same day, against yeah. the Raiders, like, makes sense. Yeah. And it just, you know, statistically, there was something that really ended up being compelling to me, which was just that um, through the end of December, if you looked at the numbers, Mahomes throwing to running backs and tight ends was still Mahomes. You know, it was a top three quarterback. Mahomes throwing to wide receivers was, like, statistically equivalent to mac jones and i was just a, like, a phrase by the way you never want to hear you about never yourself. want to hear it you just never ever ever want to hear statistically equivalent to mac jones it's very bad and i just went you can't win a super bowl like that i'm sorry you just it's not possible i'm done like i'm i'm, I'm not gonna do the thing that i did at the beginning of the season where i picked kansas city until someone proves otherwise I, this is actually the thing that that turns that around, and then they're in the friggin' Super Bowl. So right. I'm just like, all of right. Of course, um, I think there was a stat. Whatever the last game that MVS dropped the ball was it Packers maybe uh, that they had the the no call PI oh, situation. Yes. I think it was after that game. That was the fourth time that a game winning pass had or potential game winning pass had hit a receiver in the hands and fall into the turf, yeah, which is just bananas. And you're literally just going, if literally they're wide receivers, receivers in the name, could catch the football, this would be one of the best teams in the NFL. And fortunately for them, like, Rashi Rice has learned how to catch, and MVS makes a huge catch in one of the playoff games. Like, it, it really, for all of the problems that it seemed like they had, it really kind of came down to the fact that their receivers couldn't catch the ball, and now suddenly they are. Well, and also, in the fact that they had continued to try to incorporate those guys, right? Where pretty late in the year and they'd had the issues, they still, you know, Kadarius Tony was getting some meaningful snaps. And 
uh, Mecole Hardman was getting carries near the goal line, and, and it wasn't working out. I was just going, like, geez, like, if, if these players have to be getting the ball in high-leverage situations, I don't trust this team. What they've done, which it's sort of in hindsight seems so obvious, but in the moment it seems like, well, you can't get away with that. They've eliminated those players from the offense. Right. It's Travis Kelsey, it's Rasheed Rice, it's Isaiah Pacheco, it's Mahomes scrambling, and that's that's what we do. Yeah, I and mean, that, it's just that's it. By the way, what a wacky bit that Eric Bieniemy was in the locker room the other day. Yeah, that's that's tampering. He was under contract with with the Commanders. Well, but so I, I saw a story in the Washington Post. I think that published even just a couple hours ago that, okay. that allegedly they gave him permission. Okay, that would make um, a lot of sense. I know Nikki was working on that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that went up this afternoon, and it it did. It's funny because it wasn't. I guess Eb wasn't super confident he was getting the head coaching job. Well, so here. that's that's what it that's what she wrote in the story, and there wasn't sourcing attributed to it. So I wonder exactly where that information is coming from. Although, obviously, like, like yeah, I we're not second guessing Nikki. Yeah, this is just sort of like journalism hat on. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was that once it was sort of clear that he wasn't getting a job and that he was going to be on his way out there, um, they granted him permission to do it. That is interesting, just because. The, the job stuff was not wrapped up by then. No. No. But to me, that indicates that they, they knew what was going on with him close to two weeks ago, which is just a little bit of an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, there's a uh, coaching search that had way too many wrinkles. I'll put it that way. Uh, enough wrinkles for us all. Uh, Nora Princiati, uh, what are you working on for, like, are you writing something this week? Are you just doing pods? Like, what's, what's your week look like? Yeah, so I have a story um, just sort of about – how Taylor is, has influenced the NFL ecosystem that's up on the ringer.com now. Um, and tons of pods. I did the press box pod with Brian Curtis oh. today. Ringer NFL. Brian show, who was on always. the show earlier today. No way. Yeah. Brian wow. Curtis, longtime friend. Good Bri- dude. Brian Curtis. Excellent people. Yes. Um, and I'm surprised to hear you say that even though, well, I'm, I'm not actually, but Cowboys <laughs> noted Cowboys fan. Brian yes. Curtis. No, he says it every time he's on the show. I'm like, Brian, do you trying to make the audience hate you? <laughs> what, what are you doing? That's sort of impossible. He's like the nicest guy ever. I know. Um, but TheRinger.com, every single album, The Ringer NFL Show, bang, Radio bang. Row. There you go. That's Nora Princiati. Uh, when we get back, uh, let's play our interview with Mike Loxley from a little earlier today. The Maryland coach joins us next here on the Team 980. We're back on Radio Row here on the Team 980. Of course, you're home for Maryland football. And look, look who's next to me. It's the man in charge of Maryland football, Mike Loxley. How are you, Coach? Craig, what's up, man? Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, so I, I want to talk ball with you in a second. I want to talk about yeah. this game. I want to talk about kind of where the commanders go. I know you know Caleb Williams really well, and so get some thoughts on Caleb here in a few minutes. But tell us what you're doing out here on, on Radio Row with the, the coalition that you got going. Yeah, I'm here on my part-time job. I'm here to, <laughs> uh, to, to, to do some good, uh, create some value. Um, for the National Coalition for Minority Football Coaches, which is a passion project. I started in 2020, president and founder of the organization, uh, where our job is to prepare, promote, and produce the next level or next wave of minority football coaches from youth football all the way up to the NFL. And, you know, I'm here at the NFL uh, media, uh, Super Bowl, Radio Row, to promote the job that, you know, some of these minority coaches have done. You look and see that we had four hired in the NFL cycle this year uh, with Antonio Pierce right here with the Raiders, uh, yep. Raheem Morse over in Atlanta, Gerard Mayo up there in New England, and then David Canales down there in, in Carolina, uh, all getting opportunities to lead as minorities. And, 
it's great to see. Uh, it shows that the, that the work is uh, being done behind the scenes to be able to have four coaches, uh, four minority coaches get opportunities in one cycle at the NFL is huge. Uh, in the college game, we saw Sharon Moore get the opportunity to lead Michigan, uh, which Sharon came through our academy. Um, you see guys like Marcus Freeman and Tony Elliott who came through our academy that we put on through the coalition. And, and again, you know, the coalition isn't here to tell people to hire minority coaches. We're here to tell you that we have minorities that are prepared and capable of leading programs. And, and, and we're starting to see that come to uh, fruition a little bit. Do you know uh, Brian Johnson at all? Of course I know BJ. Okay. He's, the he's commander just of, hired him this Well, morning, he's part so. of our academy. Yep. Um, uh, he what was he part of our him. academy. Uh, you know, I've known him since his days at Planet Utah and then coming up through the Urban Meyer tree. Uh, did a tremendous job developing Dak Prescott down there in uh, Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. Was his position coach there working under Dan Mullen. Uh, went to Florida, played a, a role in, in Anthony Richardson's recruitment and development. Uh, and then he had Jalen Hurts, who pl- he played for Jalen's dad in high school. Right. And so, you know, he coached Jalen and was the coordinator there in, in, in Philly. And, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, because of the relationship I had with Jalen, I hate to see that somehow, some way, he was the guy that, that's not there as if, you know, it was, it was his doing. But as we know, when you get into this business, man, uh, it's a production-based business. Uh, I think he's a big-time coach, and I think that he's a guy that will be a – a guy that will lead a program here in the near future. I think something we saw, for instance, last year in Carolina is you can have a lot of smart minds in a room, but if it's not a cohesive vision as, as a football staff, it's not going to go very well. How do you think that, that Brian fits with what Cliff Kingsbury does stylistically and, and whatever you know personality-wise about Cliff? I think the big thing with Brian and, and what he, he does is, uh, you know, obviously they're going to run Cliff stuff and, and – and, Cliff has uh, a system that he knows really well. It's the air raid system that he's adapted to the pro game, and you saw what he did with Kyler Murray. I think what Brian will bring to the game and, and, his, and the experience, you know, of of the college system like Cliff had, he has a baseline of what that's like, and now he's been in the league for the last few years. I think those two will work really, really well together, and I think uh, Cliff will benefit from having Brian Johnson running the quarterback room. Uh, no doubt about it. Mike Loxley with us here on Radio Row, the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. Um, so the, the quarterback position itself, I don't know if you heard, Coach. I know you got a day job and a part-time job, but the commanders are, are in that quarterback market, <laughs> uh, and they've got that number two pick. Um, you know Caleb Williams really well from, from being around the DMV. And obviously now there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, they hired Cliff. But I think Cliff can work with any of these three guys. Yeah. But let's stick to Caleb for a second. What makes Caleb so special beyond the, the stuff that we see on tape, his ability to run around? Because you don't get that tag of generational prospect just because mm-hmm. of your highlight film. There's got to be more yeah. to it. What's the more to it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the substance. I mean, you know, because of having been a part of his recruitment process and obviously went to Oklahoma, transferred there, got to know he, his dad, his family really, really well. Um, everybody else may be surprised, but he's been destined for this opportunity. I mean, he's kind of like how the Mannings were raised mm-hmm. to be champions. Well, he was raised to be a champion. You look at the success he had at Gonzaga. All right, Gonzaga wasn't uh, the, the school in the WCAC that was winning the championships. They were kind of the underdog, and Caleb took that program and, and, and lifted it you know, single-handedly with some of the plays that he made. I mean, I think back to the high school championship game that he won on the 
the last play of the game, Hail Murray, touchdown throw. Uh, he did that as, I think, a 10th grader. Um, the success he had throughout his career in high school, going to Oklahoma, faced a little adversity, playing behind Spencer Rattler to get in this chance. He comes in at halftime of a game they were losing and brings them back. I mean, he has a resume of success, and it's not luck because everything he has done has been really intentional, and it's from the leadership of his, his uh, team, led by Carl, his dad, the mom, and, and his family. But then just, you know, they've put him in the right positions, and people don't understand to, to be able to meet the expectation like he has, you have to sacrifice a lot, and he's sacrificed uh, being out in the public eye and, and all those things, but he consistently works on the game. And the one thing I'll tell you, and, and I said this, I said this to Jalen Hurts when I was talking to him a couple, you know, quarter, celebrity quarterbacks don't work. And I don't, you know, he does the TV and the commercials, but you got to have the substance and you got to do the work behind the scenes. And I right. know that he did the work. Uh, behind the scenes the old Parcells adage there yeah uh, celebrity quarterbacks absolutely not uh, so if I if I'm a scout and I'm I'm saying like, all right coach I watched Caleb I love this off schedule stuff's crazy it's like him and Pat and you know that's it they can do some of the stuff that Caleb is doing but I'm concerned about how he's going to be on schedule what do you what what's your response do you feel like as a coach you can coach that up or are you like no oh, I share definitely. that concern like how, how does that process go yeah you 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 have to have a foundation but I also think that because of his ability and playmaking ability that you don't want to overcoach it you want to have a system and through that system when you develop and run offensive plays or systems there's reads there's starting points ending points you know but then what happens in between sometimes is innate. And uh, he's very coachable. Uh, the system Cliff runs allows the flexibility, and that's the one great thing about the Air Raid system is that it's uh, very versatile. Um, mm -hmm. It's a read system. It's If they're deep, you just break your route off and stop. Well, I mean, you have that type of off-scheduledness in how the system is run. So um, it may be a match made in heaven and maybe, you know, the direction of hiring a cliff because of the type of system that would fit the type of quarterback. Because here's what I do know, that your system has to match your quarterback. Your quarterback doesn't necessarily, you know, make your system. So right. whatever he does well or you want to accentuate and you want to emphasize and you want to make that a big part of what you do. Uh, Michael Axley is with us here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, do you have a, a – I know you obviously during the season are pretty co busy coaching your team, and neither of these guys are in your conference. But do you have a, any kind of file on, on Jaden, on Drake May, the other two guys that will probably be in consideration? Yeah, recruited Drake um, a, a little bit. You know, Scott Chadwick was his high school coach down in Charlotte. Uh, you know, was talented, comes from a talented family, obviously. His brother played basketball at North Carolina. Uh, he was a great basketball player as well. He's one of those guys that, and when I think of quarterbacks, like I think of Steve Young, I put him in a comp of a Steve Young uh, in that, you know, probably a scratch golfer, can probably hit 300 in baseball, will J you up in a basketball game, can shoot the three, just a, a great athlete that just does everything and makes it look really easy. That's kind of who Drake May is. That I, when I think of Drake May, that's what I think of, it's just an all-around great athlete that, Whatever he does, he does well. He can make all the throws. He's sneaky, sneaky athletic. Like, I mean, he is, you know, when oh, yeah. you think of Steve Young, 
I mean, most people look out, like, but Steve Young was really athletic, and they used to use him as a compliment because of his athleticism. And, you know, Drake can make all the throws. Uh, the key, and this is what I don't know about he or Jaden Daniels, because obviously when I look at Jaden Daniels, you know, I think of a, a C.J. Stroud, a Deshaun Watson-type comp in that he's going to be a guy that makes plays with his feet, makes plays with his arms. But the question with both these guys, including and Caleb included, is can he get himself protected? Does he know how to get himself protected? Because the NFL game, those all-platform throws that you see out of Caleb, there's more of those in the NFL game than maybe college because of the ball being in the middle of the field and the complexity of the blitzes that you see uh, in the NFL. And so being able to get yourself protected and then being able to protect the football. Uh, obviously, we're all looking forward to the game on Sunday here in Vegas. Uh, who you got in that one and why? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm leaning San Francisco. I haven't really studied it. We've been in recruiting for the last six weeks. And uh, to be honest, it, it, recruiting wore me out this year. But <laughs> when I think of San Fran and, uh, you know, as I work toward my, my future job, which is hopefully doing this. Well, you're Fran, welcome back anytime San you want to be one, an analyst. So let, yeah, San Fran know. from 1 to 53, mm-hmm. really talented roster probably more talented than Kansas City's 1-53. to But here's the uh, secret sauce to, to it, is that Kansas City's number one player is really, 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 really special. And he's been in this game before. And so that experience that he has of playing in these games, you know, when you look at it on paper, San Fran should be the better team. They should, If they do what they're capable of doing, which I expect them to, uh, they'll win the game. But you can never count out Patrick Mahomes, man. He is a a unique and one of one number one. Yeah, he is. He's something else. He just he breaks all the laws. I can't. Yeah. I can't imagine how frustrating it is to coach to against defend that. Defend Yeah, I wouldn't want to. Hey, coach, we did everything right. Yeah, good job. Yeah. Uh, too bad he scored on us. Like, yeah. just that's that's Mahomes. Sometimes that happens. Yep. Uh, Coach Loxley, you hear him, of course, uh, all the time. Terps talk here on the Team 980. You listen to his team play here on the Team 980. Uh, the work you're doing is so great, man. I'm excited to hear more about this coalition and Thanks. continue to see the results. Uh, thanks so much for stopping by. We appreciate you. Thanks, man. Appreciate the partnership we have. Welcome back to Radio Row. It's the Hoffman Show live from Las Vegas on the Team 980 and always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Uh, I have the empty chair back next to me. Uh, that is where Dan Graziano from ESPN will sit in just a few minutes. But uh, we'll take the time now to talk about the NBA trade deadline. And uh, there's actually, in some ways, more to talk about what didn't happen than what did happen. Uh, there were a couple of big trades, for sure. Um, the biggest one probably being Buddy Heald going to uh, the 76ers from Indiana, which I like for Philly because they need someone to take shots with Joel Embiid out for the next at least month uh, as he got that meniscus repaired uh, surgically in the last week or so. So with with Embiid out, uh, one, you get another shooter and a floor spacer and a guy who's not afraid of big moments, which is always something that's great in the playoffs. Like There just aren't a lot of guys that could score 40 in a playoff game, and Buddy Heald is one of them. Now, he's not going to do that for you consistently. Um, Otherwise, he'd be sticking on teams more than the bouncing around that he's done. One of these guys that always seems to be tradable. Uh, like he's always he's always good enough that someone wants him, but not so good enough that people keep him long term. It's kind of a wacky space that certain NBA players find themselves in, um, and Buddy Heald is in that space. Um, but then you see like 
all of a sudden Monte Morris goes to Minnesota uh, last night, and you're like, wait, that's where Tyus Jones was supposed to go. And you see P.J. Washington get traded from Charlotte to Dallas, and you're like, wait, that's where Kyle Kuzma was supposed to go. And lo and behold, here we are, uh, Anthony, and, and Kyle Kuzma is still a wizard. And Tyus Jones is still a wizard. And I think Tyus especially is the one that's, that's a little befuddling because he's an expiring contract. Um, there is a chance that he leaves for nothing in free agency. But I also think something that really smart NBA people that I like, like Zach Lowe was talking about this on his podcast earlier in the week, uh, pointed out that like the, the f- they could just re-sign Tyus Jones in the offseason if they could feel pretty good about doing it because they can offer him more money. And Tyus Jones will be just as tradable this offseason as he would be uh, right now. And perhaps he becomes more tradable this offseason because more teams are actually going to have the draft capital to, to do it. And, and that's the thing that I think people underestimate right now is, like, you look at teams that came out pretty early today, or at least it felt early because I'm out here on the West Coast, um, but I guess these teams are too. But, like, the Lakers and the Warriors, it comes out, are like, hey, we're, uh, we're not going to make any moves. And you're like, oh. Well, if you're not going to make any moves, and then Dallas trades for P.J. Washington, like, you run out of spots real fast. And, and I think that's the thing, Anthony, is, like, the market this summer, you're going to have more teams that didn't a- accomplish their goals, and you're going to have more teams with the first-round picks that, uh, that the Wizards and, and Winger and Dawkins actually want in return for these players. And I, especially when you're in no rush and there's no real downside to waiting, like, at that point you just wait. Yeah, and I think uh, Noah, when we had him on early, I think he did a good job of explaining, uh, you know, Michael Winger's, you know, train of thought having, you know, covered the Lake, I mean, uh, the Clippers um, a little bit. But sure. I just I, I just feel as though um, I think he was right, you know. that there's no, re- there's no reason to panic right now, you know. At the NBA trade deadline, everybody's, you know, panicking, like who's going to, uh, you know, get a trade and who's going to do this, who's going to do that. And, the, you know, the Wizards, we just stood pat. And I think that's different than, you know, our previous regime or, you know, just in general being in D.C. How <laughs> the previous we just... regimes would have traded a first-round pick to add a player. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's just I, I think we, we finally have people that are, you know, a little competent, you know, not competent, a little, I guess, smarter when it comes to, you know, these dealings and things of that nature. And I think we, we attacked this uh, deadline correctly. And. I think it's going to pan out for us in the long run. Yeah, and the other thing I think that it's important to say is, and I had this, I don't say battle, but like I had this conversation on Twitter with a bunch of fans. I did, Anthony, I don't know if you saw, I did like an AMA during my flight because it's a, it's a five and a half hour flight from D.C. to, uh, or, or from, from D.C. to Vegas. And we, uh, we, I just did like an AMA and, there was a bunch of Wizards fans talking about, uh, well, like, you got to figure out who Kyle Kuzma is, is or who uh, Denny Avia is, and Bilal Koulibaly needs more shots, and, you know, you can't do that with Kyle Kuzma here. And it's like, you know, you could. One, that you could always shut someone down with an injury. You can always do whatever uh, from a roster standpoint. You can just give a guy a night off and say, like, hey, Denny, you're gonna be, we're going to run the offense through you tonight. But two, I think there's this there's this thought that like Denny Avia, we got to find out if he can be a number one option or a number two option. It's like we know that answer. The answer is no. 
And it's fine if Denny Avia is a ninth pick in the draft, is like a really good three, four, five, or like a seventh guy on a team that's a stud that you can count on as a seventh guy on a championship team. Like there's real value in a player like that, especially with his specific skill set that can play at a different tempo and, and, and all of those things. So um, the idea that you have to find out and so you have to – there's this downside to not making trades because the roster doesn't change and you can't – then you have to give shots and minutes to certain players. One, no, you don't. And two, I, I also think that the, the, there's an idea with development that more is always better. That, like, the best thing for Bilal Koulibaly is uh, to, just to take 20 shots a night, and that's how he's going to develop. And what I would tell you is, uh, if you want a, a counterexample, look at Sam Howell. Look at what Eric Bieniemy did to Sam Howell. You think that was the best way to develop a quarterback? No. Do you think that giving a guy who's not ready for 20 shots a night, 20 shots a night is a good way to develop a, an NBA basketball player? I would tell you the answer is not just no, but hell no. All they do is develop bad habits. So keeping Bilal in the box that he's been, maybe the box grows a little bit each night, but you do not need to blow up a team so that you can give a 19-year-old more shots. One, if you want to give him more shots, give him more shots. You can call more plays. like You can direct the team to say, hey, this is our guy. Get him the ball, and let, and Bilal, when you get it, you're looking to score. But two, I actually don't think that's the best thing for him long term. And I think the very accomplished player development professionals that are Michael Winger and Will Dawkins, and by the way, new coach Brian Keefe, whose player development resume is outstanding, they understand that. So they'll, they'll bring him along at the speed that they want to, realizing he's the most important person in the organization, and it's not just like, oh, you got to make a bunch of trades. Like, it, life is more complicated than that. Development is more complicated than that. And more is not always better. Uh, Anthony, anything to add? Uh, any other trades that caught your eye real quick in, in the 90 seconds or so before uh, we break and then bring Graziano on at the top of the hour? Uh, I really like what the Knicks have done. Uh, they've added they, – they were aggressive at the, uh, the, the trade deadline, um, getting Alec Burks and also Bogdan. So – yeah, I think they're going to be a team definitely to watch out in the East, especially, you know, with Joel going down. I don't think the Sixers are going to be up uh, at the top anymore. Um, so I think the the Knicks and maybe even the Mavs, I think those two teams are uh, definitely yeah, two get, teams to watch. Getting P.J. Washington was a good move for them. They kind of needed that that four who can shoot it, do a little bit more, help mm-hmm. the rebounding out. Yep. Um, the, the big question for them is, like, can they defend? Yeah. Um, because they defensively have been bad. And, I mean – this, it shows you the price of missing in free agency. They spent a decent chunk of change on Grant Williams, and he just did not work in Dallas. Uh, his shooting numbers have been awful as of late. Like, he's shooting, like, a respectable percentage, but he was shooting, like, 50% at the start of the year, and he's been, like, low 30s, mid-20s since. So, you know, that, that number averages out to be okay, but the trend is uh, – very, very bad. All right, when we get back here on the Hoffman Show, uh, I do believe it'll be ESPN's Dan Graziano joining us on set with much more on how the commander's coaching search actually went down.